Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So coming up in a couple of minutes here, I've got what I think is a really fun announcement, or at least it's a preview to an announcement, maybe let's say it that way. And for those of you who tried to get in on Dog Nation Evasion and you weren't able to, how about something else coming up really soon that you may find to be a great opportunity for you there as well? We'll give you all the details on that, or at least some of the details. I'll set the stage for those details here coming up in a little bit. It is a big time around Dog Nation. We've just got announcements flying left and right. Another one of those coming up here in just a moment. Prior to that, though, we are obviously all systems go towards Dog Nation invasion of the Tennessee River tomorrow as the dogs descend upon Neyland Stadium, looking to play, uh, make this stadium feel right at home, much the same way the Georgia Bulldogs have the last three times they've been there. Obviously, a huge thanks to R.S. Andrews, Kroger, and the Dog Cave, who've made all of this possible. We can't wait to see you there. I've heard from so many of you. We've got a great collection of golden shoes coming up. Before our show is done today, people expressing their excitement about what it's going to feel like to be up in Knoxville tomorrow and uh, really just uh, feeling right at home as we watch the Georgia Bulldogs get another win, completing another perfect streak in the SEC, which will be three straight years of eight, no perfection in the regular season of the SEC. You love that. And obviously Kirby Smart joining some rare air as the dogs try to win, what, their 28th game in a row? Is that what it would be? So uh, kind of fun stuff. Uh, pretty, pretty cool stuff on all of that. And as many of us get our game faces on, getting ready to create the atmosphere for Georgia tomorrow, combating all that orange that's also going to be in the building. We told you yesterday about uh, what Tennessee is going to try to make this be and what uh, Josh Heupel says he believes their fans are going to be capable of conjuring up. We've also gotten used to seeing large numbers of Georgia fans travel uh, on the road, whether it be Dog Nation Invasion in an official capacity or a few more folks in kind of an unofficial capacity. Uh, the idea of big collections of a red and black clad folks, we've just gotten very used to that there as well. In fact, one of the terrific UGA staffers who's very active on social media, kind of leading the way for Georgia's recruiting efforts oftentimes, David Cooper. Uh, Coach Coop had a really fun tweet yesterday to kind of set the stage for what Saturday needs to be. He says on Twitter, Dog Nation, we need y'all to pull up to Neyland Stadium and turn it out this weekend. He says, you know how y'all do. I like this part. He says, get what you need and let's get it. Stay tapped and turned, which is sort of his catchphrase, so to speak. And he gives you the hashtag, Go Dogs. Now, obviously, when a Georgia coach, Georgia staffer, puts out a challenge to UGA fans, we have seen over and over again that Georgia fans answer that call. Last week, it was Kirby Smart telling the wine and cheese folks to stay home, the rough and rowdy folks to fill the building. And obviously, you saw what the environment was for Georgia and Ole Miss last week. Of course, it was everything that it needed to be. Now you got Coach Coop here saying to everybody heading up to Knoxville on Saturday to get what you need, wink, wink, and be ready to rock and roll in that stadium on Saturday. And here's what I can promise you. On the Dog Nation Invasion Riverboat tomorrow, there are going to be a lot of Georgia fans getting what they need and a lot of Georgia fans ready to make this feel like 2021 did and 2019 did and 2017 did. That is the challenge that David Cooper puts out. I believe Georgia fans are ready to kind of meet that challenge. Now, I think we also have a little bit of an idea here as what the overall motivation for Georgia might be in this game. And I've been kind of thinking about this a little bit. And obviously, we know the scenario, right, that Georgia won the SEC East last week. It actually began play against Ole Miss on Saturday, knowing, at least theoretically, Georgia fans knew, whether the players knew or not, I'm not sure. But Georgia began play on Saturday last week, knowing it was going to be back in the SEC championship again. It had clinched the division because Tennessee had lost to Missouri. So now Georgia has two remaining regular season games ahead of what's already a set matchup in the SEC championship, Georgia and Alabama. And as I talked to uh, Terrence Edwards about yesterday, obviously we know this SEC championship is going to be huge, it's going to be incredibly hyped up. And we also know that before you get there, Georgia's got some big business to take care of. And so I've been thinking this week, you know, what is the motivation for Georgia? Like, like what is the thing that Georgia tells itself to be at its best here in this spot? Because the honest truth is, is that while ultimately your elimination game of the season probably comes a little bit later on, December or later, 
The truth is, is that you want to stay at your best. Georgia fans just flat out don't want to lose to Tennessee, whether they have a reason to win the game or not. This is still something of a rivalry game. And for those of you in extreme North Georgia or those of you who live in the state of Tennessee, and many of you do, we hear from you regularly, you know, clearly this game has some sort of emotional feel for you and emotional pull for you, regardless of, you know, whatever Georgia's kind of on-field motivation might be. So you really want Georgia to win this game, and you really want Georgia to want to win this game. And so from that standpoint, okay, so what is the right level of motivation for Georgia to achieve the sort of fever pitch status that we often see Georgia play at that oftentimes almost seemingly guarantees a Georgia win? Like, How do you create that? in a situation like this. And so I've been thinking back on some of the things that Kirby Smart has said thus far this season, and I've also been thinking about an experience that I had as a sports fan uh, just a few weeks ago. Many of you who are Georgia fans also were Atlanta Braves fans. You know I'm a big Atlanta Braves fan. And obviously, we were all really disappointed a few weeks ago back in October when the Braves, after putting together a phenomenal regular season, what was 104 regular season wins? Am I right about that? Were quickly and easily dispatched out of the playoffs. And it's almost like the narrative here is, okay, well, Atlanta had things sewn up for such a long time, they kind of got out of the competitive juices of playing on a day-to-day basis, and by the time they got back to the playoffs, there was this perception, whether it's true or not, there was this perception that they couldn't quite turn that back on again and couldn't quite match the intensity that the Philadelphia Phillies had. Now, is that true? I, I don't know. From a certain vantage point, it appears that it, that it could be true. That's the feeling that certainly many Braves fans had. Now, here's the cool thing. In addition to a lot of us being Braves fans, you know who else is a very big Braves fan? Kirby Smart. You know this. You saw him throwing out the first pitch. He's referenced the Braves plenty. Uh, grew up in Georgia. You know, a lot of folks who kind of have the experience that Kirby had, obviously they're big, big Braves fans, and we obviously have plenty of evidence that Kirby Smart is. And if you want to go back a few weeks ago, after Georgia beat Vanderbilt in a game that's a little closer than it's supposed to be Kirby in the midst of talking about you know kind of what it means to win games like that also made reference to the Atlanta Braves and their quick and unfortunately far too easy dispatch from the uh, Major League Baseball playoffs and I believe the mindset that Kirby references as it relates to the Braves I think this also perhaps is some of what gets the blood flowing for Georgia a little bit this week too let me let you hear this and let me let you see if you see the obvious parallel here's Kirby from Nashville a few weeks ago I told him the other day, there's Braves played 162 games, and that was an entire season. And then they had a playoff. Well, for us, we have 12 games, maybe 13, and like every week is a season. We just finished the season, and it was a it was a long week, and it was a it was a season. And guess what? We're going to have another two week season now, and uh, then we'll have a one week season, a week long season, and we want to win every season we can. That's that's the goal. So I think that's interesting from Kirby Smart. I think a lot of us look back on the Braves around that time and what our set, what our belief was, was, oh, when it came time for the playoffs, the Braves just didn't seem ready. Now, they tried to get ready, right? They had that, what, series of inter-squad scrimmages at Tourist Park, and they invited fans to attend. They were doing some things to try to get ready, but when the playoffs got here, I think we would have to honestly say the Braves just didn't look like they were ready. They had spent so much time seemingly kind of playing out the string in less than a fully focused, intense manner that turning on the postseason intensity became a very difficult thing to do. So if you're Georgia and you're Kirby Smart and you play a shorter season anyway where you're not asked to play 162 games, where you are asked to play week to week to week, you would kind of assume that Kirby kind of knowing that feeling, perhaps the Braves, he wants to avoid that for UGA. Have you ever heard the phrase before that if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready? And that's what I think that Saturday is for Georgia and the Georgia Tech game after that there as well. It's an example of Georgia just trying to stay with the same level of intensity they have had. So when it comes to Alabama in an elimination game, when it comes to the college football playoff, and by the way, we'll talk more in a moment about the crowded field for the playoff as we move towards another very intriguing regular season weekend. But this is an example of Georgia wanting to avoid the malaise that kind of crept in with the Braves and stay ready so that it doesn't have to get ready come December. And I do believe that's what works. I do believe if you're a Georgia fan who says, hey, I know my team sort of sewn up its postseason opportunity. We know it's playing Alabama coming up, but I still want to win this one on Saturday. 
I think you can take some comfort in knowing that Georgia still wants to win it too. I think you can take some comfort in knowing that Georgia wants to have the intensity now it needs in December so it doesn't have to conjure it up when it gets there because this year's SEC championship is going to feel a little bit different than perhaps the last couple have. More on that uh, once again in a moment. Now, let me say this to kind of finally wrap up this entire conversation. So what is my confidence level that Georgia wins this game on Saturday? It's pretty high. But you have heard me also say this week, I don't think that Georgia wins this game necessarily without a fight. I've been kind of thinking about what my overall prediction here is, and I think the final score I'm going to go with is probably in the neighborhood of 30-21. to 21. This is perhaps a little bit more narrow margin of victory than some of you have in mind for Saturday's game. But, and I also mentioned to you yesterday, I think that some of the overall evidence suggests, uh, you know, recent track record for Tennessee in a spot like this, recent track record for Georgia in a spot like this. I think the overall track record suggests that Georgia probably should be fine here in this particular situation. But nonetheless, the, the hunch, the sneaking suspicion that I've had is this game might be a little bit more narrow even than the point spread suggests. We've seen Georgia about, what, 10, 10.5 point favorite here this week. Slightly more narrow than that, I believe. The one reason why I'm very confident that Georgia wins the game is because I believe, based on what you've seen from the Georgia offense as of late, it can score however many it needs to in order to ensure a victory on Saturday. It scored 50 on this past weekend against Ole Miss. If it needed to do 40 at least on Saturday, I don't believe it'd have any trouble doing that. But I also believe that Georgia recognizes the value in perhaps controlling pace here somewhat, limiting possessions perhaps somewhat there as well. The running game seems to be coming on at a very good time here for UGA. So 30 might not just be enough to win the game. It might be the perfect pace representing that that allows you know Tennessee just simply not have enough possessions to get anything quite going at home. And then when you look at the Georgia defensive side here for a moment, you know the magic number we've been kind of calling for is can you keep these – ranked teams that you're playing during this important stretch can you keep them to 13 points that's what Georgia allowed against Tennessee a year ago uh can Georgia kind of replicate that here right now what we found is well actually that's proven to be a little bit of a tough challenge for this Georgia uh defense they gave up 20 to Florida albeit that touchdown was a, the one that got them to 20 was a garbage score laid but they also gave up to 20 uh to Missouri there as well that was perhaps a little bit more legitimate gave up 17 to Ole Miss a pretty big win for the Georgia defense overall, I would say. But nonetheless, you're still talking about you know teams scoring slightly more than we're used to seeing Georgia give up. I think Tennessee playing at home could be good for three touchdowns tomorrow. So simply it's a matter of how much does Georgia score on top of that in terms of creating the ease of victory. And I believe, as I said before, Tennessee probably shows a little bit of fight. Georgia shows enough to be able to win and ultimately setting the stage to be a perfect 8-0 in SEC play and then 11-0 after that. Trust me when I tell you, that scenario playing out for Georgia on Saturday I think would be just fine as the dogs stay on mission to go for three and 23. So we can't wait to see you for Dog Nation Invasion of the Tennessee River tomorrow. Going to be an incredible time. And, of course, we're glad to have you here today as well. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans presented today by Kroger. If you check in for us there on the first and 15 at dognation.com, the Dog Nation app. We're really happy you do that. That's our own platform. And so many of you helped us grow that up and make that a great thing. And had a lot of conversations this week about all of you who watch the show there at dognation.com and on the Dog Nation app. And I really, really appreciate that. You don't care about like the sort of you know backhouse metrics and things like that, but it's a good thing for us that so many of you have found a home there on our own site. I really appreciate that. For those of you that like watching the big tech platforms like Facebook and YouTube and things like that, well, we appreciate that there too. Athens Sports Radio 96 The Ref. We see you there every afternoon. We love that. And as a podcast, wherever you find them, we're glad to have you tuning in there as well. Big thanks to our friends at Kroger today for making the show possible and for making Dog Nation Invasion on the Tennessee River possible there as well. Kroger has just been so good to us for such a long time, and we genuinely appreciate everything they're all about. And of course, Kroger's got all your game day favorites made even easier for you right now when you get that membership to Kroger Boost. You've heard me talk about this before. Well, they make the big game prep so much easier because they'll give you free delivery, but you also can save money by earning twice the fuel points on the stuff that you're already buying from your local Kroger. So save time and money when you enjoy the game here this weekend. Uh, find out more online at Kroger.com, or you can just stop by and see your local Kroger for more on that as well. We appreciate Kroger making today's show and Dog Nation Invasion on the Tennessee River possible there as well. All right, before we move on, let me drop a little bit of a hint here about a big announcement that I'm going to be able to make on Monday's show. Now, 
listen, we're a little bit like Kirby Smart sometimes, and we're kind of one game at a time, and don't look too far ahead and things like that. But a lot of y'all are kind of blowing up our phones on this, so we need to make sure we go ahead and let you know that, yes, uh, there will be a giant go for three in 23 tailgate in downtown Atlanta, right in the Home Depot backyard, as always, for the SEC championship coming up in a couple of weeks. And we wanted to try to get through Dog Nation Invasion before we started, you know, turning our attention to that kind of stuff too much. But you need to know it is going to happen. And on Monday show, we will open up the tickets for Dog Nation uh go for three and twenty three tailgate on the day of the SEC championship, as we've now done for a good number of years. This is going to be so much fun. We had to do a lot of stuff. You know, things just feel like they just get more and more complicated every year for whatever reason. Uh, so we had to do a lot of finagling kind of uh, in the back of the house here to kind of get all this squared away. But now it is. We get to unveil this to you on Monday. So if you've been a part of this before, we got you covered starting Monday. If you wanted to be a part of Dog Nation Invasion, you weren't able to, this is your next chance to do something big with Dog Nation. Uh, go for three in 23. Big celebration tailgate. Uh tickets on sale for that on monday we'll tell you more about that then can't wait to do it all right prior to that speaking of great tailgates how about we go around the doghouse poured today by our friends at the finish long drink now i want to talk here for a moment about a couple of things as it relates to georgia we just sort of had the discussion going that if you're georgia you probably want to stay ready right now because that means you don't have to get ready come postseason and you don't run the risk of sort of falling flat in a postseason game the way the Atlanta Braves did when they were in the playoffs a few weeks ago. I think that's probably a wise course of action for UGA. Plus, there are a couple of things about this year's go for three and 23 attempt that are going to feel a little bit different for Georgia than perhaps the last couple of years have. I'll tell you about one of those coming up in a moment. That's kind of a fun thing. But on the uh, flip side here, here is the thing we've sort of, sort of talked about a lot as of late, that when Georgia played in the SEC championship in 2021 and 2022, Georgia knew it was going to be in the playoff no matter what. In fact, unfortunately, in 2021, it found out uh, because it lost Alabama, and yet Georgia had done so much during the regular season run in comparison to the rest of the college ball playoff contenders. Georgia was an easy inclusion in that playoff, and of course, that decision was validated when they went on to win the national championship. Last year, Georgia obviously won the SEC, so it became a moot point, but I can tell you, if Georgia had lost that game, it was still making the college football playoff because of all that it had done to kind of set the stage for that prior to that. This year, not quite the same level of certainty. And you've heard me say this before. Many of you believe this to be true yourself. But as kind of an example of perhaps how true this is, ESPN analyst Greg McElroy recently talking on his podcast about the challenge that would be facing Georgia in terms of its inclusion in the Final Four in this year's college football playoff if it does not beat Alabama in the SEC championship. This is what McElroy said about that this week. Yes, I think they'd be out more than likely. And if you have an undefeated Michigan and or Ohio State, you have an undefeated Pac-12 or a one-loss Pac-12 champion. You have an undefeated ACC champion. You have a one-loss Big 12 champion. You have a one-loss SEC champion. The committee has long said that they have to value one of the things and one of the criteria that they reference is conference championships won. And with all those other teams with comparable resumes, having a conference championship banner that they've hung, that could be the differentiator. Regardless of the outcome of the SEC championship, is Georgia one of the four best teams? I don't know a soul that would say no. Not one person that would say no. But it doesn't mean they're going to get in. So last year you had this scenario where it seemed like Georgia just sort of turned the volume up and down. It was like, okay, this game matters. We're going to go out here and beat TCU 65-7. to This game doesn't matter. We're going to act like half the time we don't, we don't even want to be here. Like, remember the Kentucky game in the cold last year? I swear to you, Georgia was just so ready to get that game over with. Uh, and they just sort of played like it, right? They were never a threat to lose, but they were not impressing anybody. Uh, it was just like, that's the volume turned down. Okay, well, SEC championship, volume was turned back up again. You know, college football playoff, volume was turned back up. I mean – and during the year, I really found myself a lot of times saying, I'm not quite so sure you can do this with young people. I'm not quite so sure you can turn the volume up and down on your intensity and have it up when you really need for it to be. Last year, Georgia proved that it could. But last year was also one of those scenarios, and we've said this now many times. Last year was also one of those scenarios in which Georgia was so dominant in comparison to most of the rest of the teams that even among the great teams that have won the, the national championship here in the playoff era – 
most teams did not have it as easy as Georgia had it a year ago. That what Georgia experienced for 15 games a year ago was just not real life. That in most years, there's a lot more of a stiff challenge in order to win a national championship, which is what I believe this year is. So I believe that McElroy's opinion here is right. Now, here's what I can tell you. If Georgia were to somehow lose the SEC championship, which I don't believe that it will, but if Georgia were to lose the SEC championship, I can promise you the day after that game, that night on the postgame show, day after for sure, I'm going to go in like full-on like cable news mode, and I'm going to take my talking points, and I'm going to argue on Georgia's behalf and pretend like none of this stuff ever happened, right? I, I promise you we will go full-on like red meat, partisan, whatever, making the case for Georgia to make the playoff, even if it were loose, because I do believe there's a case to be made, and if we don't make it, who will? But objectively speaking here, it would be a very good idea for Georgia to win every single game it's playing. McElroy's just right about that. We said this a moment ago. Being ready for the game that uh, matters the most starting in December, staying ready now means you don't have to get ready then. So I think McElroy's words here should probably be used as a little bit of a harbinger of do not leave this in the committee's hands because we have seen time and time again that this group can't be trusted both from a competence standpoint and certainly perhaps from a uh, just consistency standpoint don't leave it in the committee's hands remove all doubt about your status that is exactly right McElroy's words should probably be taken you know very seriously there on that I believe most Georgia fans do so play at your best on Saturday play at your best against Tech that way you're already at your best when you get ready to play the elimination game coming up first Saturday in December if that's truly what it is but let me give you one final thought here for a moment let's say all this works out the way that it possibly should and Georgia you know continues its run, beats Alabama's back in the college football playoff. I do believe there's a chance that in this year's college football playoff, Georgia may get an opportunity to experience something that most fans would say they really haven't gotten much of a chance to experience. I think Georgia fans have this perception they're not really viewed as the good guy in college football necessarily. That I think that Georgia fans have this perception that opposing fans, you know, sort of the collective media of opinion the voice I think Georgia fans have the perception that people have gotten tired of Georgia very quickly in other words the prevailing narrative at one point in time prior to 2021 was uh Georgia's not gonna win the national championship because Georgia never wins the national championship and then Georgia won it in 2021 and Georgia fans had to endure the idea of well you may have won it in 2021 but that was just sort of a fluke you're not going to come back and do it again and then Georgia won it again and it seems like in the eyes of some Georgia fans, it moved very quickly into the terrain of, oh my gosh, I'm so tired of Georgia. It's like <laughs> Georgia fans sort of felt like they had to sort of earn their respect and credit only to then very quickly move into the, well, somebody else besides Georgia please win a national championship. That sort of seems like what the prevailing narrative has been in the eyes of some Georgia fans. And I think there are some Georgia fans who don't really feel like their team has kind of gotten the idea of being, as what Jim Harbaugh said earlier this week, America's team. I don't believe that Georgia fans have ever quite felt like they were America's team. But speaking of Michigan, this is where I think things could get very interesting here this year. For Georgia fans who sort of feel like America hasn't really been behind them on this program's ascent to the top of the sport, if Michigan does indeed make the college football playoff, I believe you may have a little bit of a different feeling around Georgia in this year's college football playoff than perhaps we've ever had before. Because there is a huge divide between like those sort of on the insider club of college football, administrators, media types, the people who are kind of like in the club on the other side of the velvet ropes, and the people who are on the other side of all that, the sort of rank and file common fans like you and me. There is a lot of anger at Michigan. And yesterday, you know the news. We haven't had much time to talk about this because we're so busy with what's going on with the UGA. But Michigan essentially fell on the uh, sword, so to speak. It took the three-game suspension for Harbaugh in the hopes that the Big Ten will now drop the investigation. So do you realize this now? That Jim Harbaugh in this year, in which Michigan has been ranked near the top all year long, has been now suspended multiple games for two different things? Like, that's a really odd deal. And I'll tell you who has been pretty good on this kind of stuff. A lot of y'all know I'm kind of anti-ESPN a little bit. ESPN's been pretty good on this as of late. Uh, Peter Burns, rightly, I believe, called for the uh, Michigan Athletic Director to recuse himself from the College Ball Playoff Selection Committee overall, not just recusing himself from Michigan Conversations, but if you are the guy that oversaw such an 
awful, grotesque, you know, lack of institutional control, that perhaps you're not quite qualified to be on the college football playoff selection committee right now. I believe that Peter Burns is right to say that. Paul Feinbaum, who's also not always my cup of tea, uh, Feinbaum has called out Fox, the network that broadcasts a lot of the Big Ten games for essentially treating Michigan in a very kid-glove fashion, not exactly shining the light on some of what might have gone on there. There's clearly an attempt to protect a big-money brand on the part of Fox when it comes to Michigan. I think that Feinbaum's right to call that out. So ESPN, I believe, as of late, has actually been pretty good on the whole Michigan fiasco. But what this sets up for, I believe, is a chance that Georgia, who, by the way, would be a slight point-spread underdog to Michigan if the game were played today, But Georgia might actually have America on its side when it plays Michigan here coming up, if that's indeed what happens. Harbaugh said this week he thought his team was America's team. I think what Harbaugh finds out, though, is is the Wolverines do unite the country, but not the way he thinks they do. It could be all of America united in favor of whoever it is that eliminates Michigan from the college ball playoff. We already know a couple of years ago Georgia's more than capable of doing that. So for Georgia fans who don't quite feel like they've had America on their side during this playoff run the last couple of years, if Georgia's back in the same position here again this year, and if it's playing the Wolverines once again, there may be a whole lot more folks cheering for the dogs than we've seen in the past. And that is Around the Doghouse, poured today by the Finnish Long Drink. So I've had so many folks coming up to me as of late saying, B.A., i got to get me this Finnish Long Drink peach-flavored version. And... It's one of those deals where it's so popular that it's flying off the shelves so quickly. So the best advice I can give to you is go to thelongdrink.com. That's the website, thelongdrink.com. And if you put in your zip code, you can find all the places around you that have the peach-flavored version of the finished long drink. It's obviously available for a limited time here in the Peach State. And if you're packing up for a great tailgate uh, this weekend, heading up to Knoxville, or if you're watching at home with a bunch of friends, Boy, the peach-flavored version of the finished long drink would be great for that. Or perhaps you want to try one of the other varieties of the finished long drink there as well. The long drink zero, that's no carbs, no sugar. Sometimes maybe that's a good idea. Or for you, it's the long drink strong, 8.5% alcohol by volume. Long drink cranberry, a lot of folks in my neighborhood love that. I still like the traditional. It's the blue can. It's the grapefruit kick. Uh, it's the it's the gin there as well. Uh, if you like mixed drinks, it's sort of a mixed drink in a can. It's a really fun thing, a brand-new category or a new-ish category of beverage called a ready-to-drink cocktail. Of all the ready-to-drink cocktails, I can promise you none tastes better uh, to me, certainly, than the finished long drink does. So find out online, thelongdrink.com, and you can enjoy yourself some finished long drink here today. All right, so before we are done Final thoughts on some big weekend uh, games, including some of those playoff implication games there as well. Other SEC games, a couple of reasons to watch closely on some of this kind of stuff. We'll give you that there as well. But big news in the world of Georgia recruiting. Flip away from the lousy, stinking Gators this week. You know we like that. There's also a lot to like about Nazir Johnson there as well. So let's talk more to Jeff Sintel about that. And perhaps a couple of Georgia targets maybe in the building to see the dogs on Saturday getting fed by Tennessee, but maybe thinking about UGA. Let's find out all about that. It is a Jeff Sintel here right now. Today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. So great to have Jeff Sintel here today, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. Looking forward to being with Jeff tomorrow on Dog Nation Invasion on the Tennessee River there as well. Of course, Kroger, R.S. Andrews, the Dog Cave, all making that possible for us. And can't wait to celebrate with a whole bunch of UGA fans about what's already been a fun season with big games still yet to come. Jeff, I want to talk to you about Nasir Johnson. That's obviously big news. But first, uh, how much are you looking forward to being on the Tennessee River tomorrow with a bunch of UGA fans ready to make Neyland Stadium feel like their own second home? Man, Brandon, I'm stoked, man. We've done a lot of little little magical mystery tours here on Dog Nations. We've invaded south bend we always invade atlanta we've invaded baton rouge we've invaded jacksonville um, the list goes on and on but like a a old school steamboat willie type steamboat uh, i believe it's called the pride of knoxville or something like that i didn't know there was much pride in knoxville although there'll be much left after the georgia game but like man probably what 150 of our closest and dearest we're going to be up and down the Tennessee River. And, you know, Brad, I'll, be, I'll admit, that's something – I've probably been to Knoxville about, I don't know, 10, 15 times in my life. Um, and I need a memory to replace that memory when the great Robert Edwards went down uh, in 1994, 1995, I believe, when he was just running through Tennessee 
1994, and then he suffered that injury. Um, I'll, I'll never forget. I was uh, I was not a media member at the time, but I was going through the concourse there, and um, I remember a Tennessee fan who who kind of looked like the caricature a little bit of like Lulu and Junior that we all remember. And he called Edwards a devil back, which I, I thought was the highest praise yeah. because he was like, that devil back was going to take us down it, down to Georgia with him. But he but he went out, and we had a chance, and they won. But, like, I'll never forget that memory in Knoxville. But I bet that one might be replaced with positive vibes up and down the Tennessee River on Saturday. So there's been a lot of, like, river references this week. I think the oldest may belong to Jeff Sintel, who brought out Steamboat Willie. Uh, that is such an old reference that Disney actually lost the copyright on that this year. That's public domain now. That's how old Steamboat Willie is. I mean, Brandon, you, uh, people don't know this. All things Brandon, he's got pockets of great knowledge and Disney knowledge back and forth. Brandon, I, I would consider you an authority on all Disney historical intellectual property intel. Man, it, I just want to know if you're really going to think about going with that old painting pose where you're going to put a knee or put your hand over a knee up, up across the bow and act like you're George Washington crossing the Delaware River. That's right. My buddy Connor Riley right there. No doubt about that. It's going to be a, a great, great time indeed. All right, let's take care of business here. Uh, I think Nazir Johnson represents a very big flip for Georgia away from Florida. I want to deal with both sides of this for a moment. Let me just start start simple and straightforward here, though. What does Johnson's presence in the 2024 class mean for UGA? We know how much of a position of need defensive line is right now. How does Johnson help fill that need? He's a great athlete, Brandon. He's actually pretty young. I'm sure you saw the I'm sure he just gets really happy when she hears about a lousy stinking flip uh, while, we're, while we're on air with you, man. But I like it. Not fear. Not fear. I need to be educated on this myself, Brandon. Everybody, Dog Nation faithful will know that Nazir Stackhouse is a, a hard-charging, great potential all-SEC defensive lineman for the 2023 dogs. Not is going to be a lot of things for the dogs of 2024 and beyond. He was a homegrown dog, Brandon, that uh, basically kind of fell in love with Florida during his official visit over the summer, and Georgia kept coming. Georgia kept charging. Georgia especially kept charging late, probably around late September, early October. That's when we kind of thought this might be coming down the track a little bit. Just a really great athlete, Brandon. I've had people in middle Georgia that really know football have told me that uh, Nasir could probably be an all-SEC offensive guard. Uh, he can play all across the offensive line for Dublin. He does so. Uh, Roger Holmes, the head coach at Dublin, who's been the head coach at Dublin for over a generation, he told me that uh, the athletic stuff with Nasir really stands out. Uh, he said he can throw a football 70, 75 yards, man. And you don't really hear about that a lot with uh, defensive line prospects that could do backflips, back cartwheels, and act like a cheerleader flipping all over the place and not just away from the Florida Gators. Um, he's also a guy, Brandon, that I think is going to be a shade nose or maybe a three technique. Yeah. Maybe that's about as far as he's going to play. He's going to be an interior lineman. He's very young for his age. And, Brandon, it just adds to the massive humanity that dog, the dogs are going to bring in on both the offensive and defensive line for the dogs. I mean, really the only the wonder was when you were hearing – um, kind of behind the scenes was Florida State was going to make a run uh, at Nasir as well, and if he was going to take another visit there and how things might work out there. But um, the dogs were able to get the official visit. Uh, they were able to close on him a couple of days after the official visit. And I know in your heart of hearts, Brandon, there's no flip quite like a lousy no stinking flip away from Florida to the Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, I want to talk more about like Johnson and the rest of this defensive line recruiting effort here in a moment, but let me deal with that part of this here because I am fascinated by this, and admittedly some of that's just sort of the natural spitefulness I have towards Florida, but also as just kind of an SEC observer, you know, Johnson becomes, what, the third decommitment for Florida in the last week. You know, obviously that's still a top-rated class, and, and, and for now Napier is still you know a better recruiter at this stage of the game than certainly Dan Mullen was, but – do you get the sense that there's a softening of that with Florida playing poorly on the road, expected to lose, I should say poor, poorly this season, expected to lose, uh, you know, maybe again on the road on Saturday to Missouri? 
Is there some chance that what has been a stellar recruiting season for Florida starts to subside here a bit? I mean, obviously, I guess unless DJ Lagway looks around, they're going to hold most of this together. The quarterback commit to Florida here right now, but but what is the the perception of the trend for Florida right now? After uh, Jamonte Waller, they lost a four star defensive back. Now you lose Nasir Johnson. That's not necessarily unexpected, but but are we seeing a little bit of a softening of the Florida twenty twenty four recruiting class throughout all of this? Uh, yeah, Brandon. Uh, I think the major word for Florida fans is momentum. Like, I think a lot of the power brokers among those bull gator societies are kind of considering the following: How in the world, even if they finish with a you know number six, number seven, number eight recruiting class, do they maintain momentum going into the off season? When there's a stark reality, I know you've discussed it on your program that Florida might start out one and three, one and four with a horrible start to the 2024 season. I mean, of all the teams that are catching a lot of plates on the bar for their 2024 schedule and the new SEC, the new expanded SEC, Florida's getting a whole lot. I mean, either out of conference has like Florida State and Central Florida in there, much less catching the dogs and catching, I believe, uh, one of the newcomers in there as well, as well as LSU and Alabama. They've got a really tough 2024 schedule. And I think that's the issue right now is, like, Florida fans are going to go, well, do we keep the momentum here for this class to build? And then what's happened to momentum in the middle of the season when Florida uh, is continually, I guess, going to do a restructuring process or a rebuilding project there as well? And it's going to be really tough. I think sometimes timing really helps a lot in recruiting, but I think the timing of where Florida's at right now, what they were not able to build on after whipping – uh, Tennessee Volunteers earlier this year, what they were not able to build on with a really treacherous 2024 staring them straight down the face. I think it's going to be really hard for Florida to put together, like, even if they get a number five, number six recruiting class this year, it's going to be really hard to stack another one on top of that. And that's what they really need to be relevant, especially with Miami and Florida State kind of money whipping some prospects in NIL. Uh, not to mention the Georgia Bulldogs and everybody else in the Southeastern Conference. So let's kind of move on then to what's next for Georgia when it comes to defensive line position. You mentioned something a moment ago that I think is an important part of this evaluation, that if you look at the specs for Johnson right now, he does to me sort of feel like that sort of three-technique type prospect, a bigger guy, so perhaps could play more over the football, but but still sort of feels sort of three-tech-ish to me a little bit, which makes me wonder, does that mean that Georgia's not done then when it comes to a former Florida commits along the defensive line, a guy like Makai Buero, for, for instance, or, you know, I know Georgia also hosted a couple of junior college defense events for the Ole Miss game there as well so let's broaden this out a little bit defensive line I believe is one of the bigger positions of need for Georgia here right now so what's next with this group in terms of guys that we could see added during this offseason yeah that's a great question Brandon I think the thing with Barreau is I, I would say you would use the word softening a little bit uh, Barreau is somebody that you look at him and he's not had the exemplary senior season that most would expect at that size. You go see him play, I'm just being honest, um, you know, he's, he's, he's not dominating, he's not taking over games, um, and it, it's more than, than just people avoiding the middle because they know they can't run against him. Okay. I think a lot of folks are just wondering, you know, where, where the Makai Barreau stock is right now, especially inside the halls of the Buckmere Heritage Hall. Uh, you did mention the JUCO prospects. The things I've been told, Brandon, is that Georgia wants some mature bodies along the defensive front to kind of replace uh, bodies like Zion Logue, bodies like Desir Stackhouse, bodies like Warren Brinson from El Walthor. Those guys have all been in the Georgia program since like 2020 uh, and earlier. I think the transfer portal is the way you're going to do that. The other offset of this, Brandon, is just economics the top-tier defensive line prospects in high school football now with a lot of NIL money, or they're being swooed or uh, they're being swayed and wooed with NIL money. And I think that's not happening at the junior college level. Uh, and I think those are kind of fits that framework of what Trey Scott's looking for, that older, older, more mature young man, more physically developed. Uh, it's kind of interesting, Brandon, that Brian Taylor, uh, the junior college defensive end type that would kind of be – the body type at 6'5", 270, which is what Mikel Williams is today, Mikel Williams is today, 
Um, Jaden Hamlin, I don't know about him in Georgia anymore. I think you know, he's more of a classic interior guy and maybe a Nasir Johnson. Maybe Georgia might, might have to make a decision with a Makai Barrow there or, or um, Jaden Hamlin in that, in that aspect. I think Nasir certainly fills the bill. Brian Taylor, who's going to be taking an official to Knoxville again this week, and I was kidding with him over the weekend. I was like, man, you're going to be able to call out the stunts and a lot of the pinches for Trey Scott because you're going to see him two weeks in a row when you get to see him up on Rocky Top. But uh, that's a guy that is in high demand. And I think a lot of – I'm just going to be frank, Brandon. I, I think the more, the more attractive option for Dog Nation to consider right now might be Georgia to go get junior college – not junior college defensive linemen, but go to the transfer portal and get more second-year, third-year defensive linemen out of the portal rather than maybe you know going really heavily in the high school ranks for another two or three bodies there. No, I think that could be certainly a, uh, an interesting place to go because obviously we know that experience sort of matters there on the defensive line there too. You mentioned you know guys going up to the Tennessee game. It seems like uh, there are a handful of guys here that perhaps have – you know, some interest in Georgia who are going to be in the building there on Saturday being hosted by Tennessee. If, if I'm right about this, I think Cam McKell's going to be there on Saturday. Maybe he's yep. not coming to UGA, but, I, but you know, he's obviously a Georgia target. It seems like he's going to be in the building. And then you mentioned a couple of names too, recent UGA visitors who are also visiting Tennessee on Saturday. You know, give us a little bit of an idea here. You know, perhaps they're dressed in orange and they're certainly being fed by the Vols, but, but who does Georgia perhaps have a chance to impress in Neyland Stadium on Saturday in the building there for the game? I like that, Brandon. They're going to be fed by the Vols. I like that. Um, you know, hey, one point I wanted to make, and this is something <clears throat> that I want to make sure our audience really knows about. It's my job as a recruiting reporter not to just talk about names, but to provide the right sort of um, covering statements or perspectives. Um, Georgia currently uh, has 13, could go up to 15 commitments for the box. And that means the line of scrimmage in their class. That's offensive lineman six, defensive lineman seven. Thirteen. Um, I'm just going to throw out two schools. The number two school in recruiting rankings in the country right now is Ohio State. They have six total. Florida, whose recruiting ranking has went one time third, but now they've fallen to fifth. They have seven total. So you're talking about 13 players for the line of scrimmage between two top five teams recruiting rankings-wise in the country, and the University of Georgia sitting at number one has as many trench line of scrimmage players as those, those two programs combined. Is that a pretty clear tell about how yeah. Kirby Smart wants to build his dynastic football teams? Yeah. Um, the emphasis there on the lines of scrimmage, it is just uncanny how it's one program seeing football this way and other programs seeing football another way. I said this um, a while back. I think I said it last night uh, on Happy Hour with Kaylee Mansell. As I said, Georgia's seeds for a victory like today or a victory like this weekend are planted in 2020 and 2021 and 2022. That's when they bring in these prospects to win these big games, especially 2020 and 2021. And a lot of the recruiting for those classes was done in 2019. That's how far away Georgia basically plots out its recruiting strategy in order to have these young men that look like Xavier Trust and Amarius Mims and Cedric Von Prong Granger and Tate Ratledge. They, they look like Goliath. They look like California Redwoods because they've been with Georgia so long in their third, fourth, and fifth years in the program. As far as those other guys at Tennessee, um, Cam McKell is going to be on his official visit to Tennessee, and his, his decision announcement, Brandon, is coming up in six days on November the 23rd. Um, Juan Gaston Jr., Travis Smith Jr., okay. Tyler Atkinson, Brand, Brian Taylor. I mean, there's a lot of guys that saw Georgia last weekend uh, and were fed by Georgia last weekend or the last two weekends that are now going to be guests of Rocky Top on Saturday. Uh, David Sanders Jr., Brandon, I know I don't need to have to yeah. um, mention him to jog your memory on there. He's also expected to be there as well. This has kind of been the – the game of all games for Tennessee to bring all their prospects in and to really provide a big stage and a big atmosphere for those that are really thinking hard about playing for the volunteers in Knoxville. I think this is not a, a weekend where Georgia feeds the prospects, but this could yeah. be a weekend, Brandon, where Georgia gets a really nice side benefit of getting a big stage to showcase Georgia football 
and it could plant that seed in a recruit's mind thinking, hey, man, you know what? This, this raucous environment's great. All this orange is great. But that team in red and black still keeps winning, and I want to be amongst those guys that win. I mean, that's just another thing where Georgia can show the gap between the haves and the have-nots right now on top of the on top of the mountain in college football. Mentioning Mikael, who obviously wants to play wide receiver, makes me think, you know, last week you reported in our Dog Nation postgame show that uh, UGA wide receiver commit Nitro Tuggle made his way back to Athens, something that Georgia fans have been hoping, hoping would happen for him for quite some time. What do you think his presence last week for the Ole Miss game does to kind of quiet down? I mean, let's face it, I mean, uh, hot and heavy rumor mill about – Tuggle ending up elsewhere. Georgia fans don't want that to be true. Being between the hedges last week, does that slow some of that down in your mind? Yeah, Brandon, I, I, I reported on Monday that I thought some of the best insidery behind-the-scenes news over the weekend, besides the, the flip that came from the lousy stinking, was not, not just Nazir's flip, but Nitro uh, came back to Athens. And, Brandon, that's important in this day and age where it's not that hard to make a trip from Indiana to, to Georgia, especially when Georgia's got seven home games for a recruit to, to figure that out. And that was Nitro's first appearance, according to my information, at a game inside Sanford Stadium all season. And when a committed prospect doesn't make a, that sort of appearance, that's kind of troubling, especially when you hear about Michigan and Notre Dame and other schools in his area that are courting him. And uh, perhaps the biggest piece of news I can share with the audience, if they need another reason to get um, excited about this weekend, is I, it was told to me by a pretty, pretty good source that Nitro Tuggle remains lock, locked in with the dogs. Um, he came down, and actually it was pretty interesting. Dylan Riola was on the front row center like he is every, every week, every game week of the, in the West End Zone stands. But he, at one point for I think it's most of the second quarter, maybe early third quarter, he had uh, Sokovi White on one shoulder and he had Nitro Tuggle on the other, and they were just watching the Bulldogs play and kind of talking it out. And for Georgia to keep uh, Nitro Tuggle in the class, I think it's big picture-wise, Brandon, I think I feel a lot more comfortable saying this class would eventually be the best all-around class that Kirby has signed because when you include a weapon like Nitro Tuggle on the offensive side of the ball, I think it makes that offensive part of the the quotient, the equation for this class so very vital and important. We've talked about this a lot, Brandon, regarding the 2024 class. Georgia keeps stacking up dudes in the 2023 and 2022 classes on defense, and they needed a counterpunch on the offensive side of the ball. And you start looking with guys like Nate Frazier and Jaden Riddell and um, Nitro Tuggle and Dylan Riola and Ryan Puglisi and Chelsea Bowens, who was also in the stands for the first time this year on Saturday. Uh, and you've got Dwight Phillips Jr. You keep adding all these Sokovi White, adding all these offensive playmakers, and then you've got six absolute gigantic young men up front uh, for the offensive line. I think it's the best offensive class that Georgia's put together, especially considering they get two really, really impressive quarterbacks to kind of pave the road for maybe the next three or four seasons under center in Athens. Uh, that's why I think Nitro is so important, because you can't tout a class as having one of the one of the best of Kirby Smart's time when there's only one high school receiver in there. And that's what would have happened uh, if Georgia lost to Kobe White. And, you know, does Cam McHale become the third? I think there's a growing possibility of that, Brandon, because um, I think that recruitment might have been over by now if Georgia had prioritized him from the jump as a wide receiver and not a defensive back. Now, that's an evaluation perception there. And we all should know by now not to, not to really shake a finger at anything that staff in Athens is doing in terms of evaluating high school prospects, but uh, I think it's really important that Georgia is back in it with Cam McHale. Um, and then, but you got to think again, the other, the other thing you got to think about when you make that point is Nicar was really good, Brandon. Nicar is really good. And at that point, when you look at what Georgia had at receiver, um, does Cam McHale fit, the, fit what's the one side of the ball better than the other? Now I think they just really want to have them in the class and they're, opening the barn doors wide open for him to be a wide receiver in the program. And I think he's listening to that message. I've kept you long, and I want to uh, say goodbye to you. Let me also squeeze this in very quick. People should read the story that you referenced earlier at dognation.com, some great photos, a lot of the recruits in the building last week. I love the picture of Dylan Riola passing out the water to the other recruits. I've enjoyed watching Dylan 
at Georgia games this year. I don't know him well, but I've enjoyed just kind of seeing his interactions. He's always really – seems like he enjoys being a fan in that particular situation, but also enjoys playing the role of host for a lot of the other recruits that are there. Dylan has been a really fun thing to see at UGA games this year. Obviously, living in Georgia gets a chance to come essentially every week. And that's been a fun thing to see. And so, Jeff, people should check out your story for what I thought was a great collection of photos, including a pretty good one of Dylan there, too. You know, the thing with Dylan, and I've gotten to know him pretty well, uh, seeing him in game day, trying to look through, is that just an act or is that the way he is? And, Brandon, the way he is on game days at Buford High School is the same way that he is in Georgia in the end zone. He really believes in the term servant leader. Yeah. And, um, you know, my perception of that, you know, there's a lot of faith-based principles to that. But my perception of Dylan is he is – when you have a situation where the most talented man in the huddle feels like he is the most dependent man in the huddle, you've got a really good unit there on offense. And that's what I think Riola believes is he believes that all those guys in the huddle are so important to him and what the offense is trying to do. He needs to make sure they're right, whether it's simple things like making sure receivers are prepared, making sure they see what he sees, spending the extra time in the classroom. I think he should probably be an NIL spokesman for an iPad right now because he's always on that stinking thing looking and absorbing what he can do and help Buford High School in terms of ball. But the way he wants to take care of his guys, Brandon, just bringing waters to everybody. He has a handful of about five or six waters every game. He goes up to the lounge before he comes back to sit down and really – absorb himself in the game and he's given waters to everybody around him Brandon I, I can't stress that enough that is unique I've never seen that from anyone much less a five-star much less a five-star quarterback but that's a good snapshot of who Dylan Riola actually is Jeff Sintel great stuff we'll see you on the Tennessee River tomorrow safe travels up there and we'll talk to you very soon here on Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger as well all right man take it easy everybody get up there safe see you see you later Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. And, of course, big round two matchup for Dylan Raiola and his Buford teammates tonight as they take on Norcross. This was obviously the round last year that uh, Buford was shockingly upset by Walton. Of course, no Dylan Raiola in that game. Uh, but state playoffs do continue tonight, including for us on the Peachtree Sports Network as well. We travel up to Rome to watch Rome host last year's 6A state champion Langston Hughes. Of course, Prentice Air Nolan, a Ohio State quarterback commit more than 10,000 yards passing in his career there for Hughes. And this was obviously a rematch of last year's state semifinal won by Hughes. But this year, Rome gets in its own stadium in a round two matchup. We'll see tonight Peachtree Sports Network for that. Rome hosting Langston Hughes. And as it works out, we're already well up 75 on our way towards Knoxville and the Dog Nation invasion on Saturday. So that works out pretty well, too. Here's what can work out for you. How about our cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and boy so many fun new things coming to royal caribbean you hear me talk about this all the time about new cruise ships like icon of the seas debuting uh uh you talk about utopia of the seas debuting in july kind of a new experience on those three and four night sailings on the oasis class ships that's a little bit of a new thing from royal caribbean there as well but a lot of you also know that my favorite thing about royal caribbean cruise vacations that's getting a little bit of a new look this year there as well you know how much I love Perfect Day Coco Cay. It's a private island which is exclusive for those on Royal Caribbean Cruise Vacations. And it was already the best thing that I think you could ever do from a vacation standpoint. I just love that day on Perfect Day Coco Cay. Many from the Dog Nation Cruise will tell you perhaps maybe sometimes I love it a little too much. But nonetheless, we have a great time and we love doing all of that. And Coming up in 2024, there are also some brand new experiences as it relates to Perfect Day Coco Cay. How about the brand new Hideaway Beach, which is its own kind of new adults-only beach area there at Perfect Day Coco Cay. If you think about like the sort of Vegas-style pool party type thing, that's what Hideaway Beach is going to be. So you're adding to what's already an amazing experience. And now you get that with Hideaway Beach. So that's going to be an incredible thing. So when you're looking at booking your Royal Caribbean Cruise Vacation in 2024, uh, I would advise you to really look at those ships sailing to Perfect Day Coco Cay and perhaps get ready to enjoy a brand new add-on experience there of Hideaway Beach coming to Perfect Day Coco Cay. Jessica Slater can help you out with that. She's a great travel agent, specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean. You can give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. Or email her, jslater at dreamvacations.com. That's jslater at dreamvacations.com. All right, we're going to give you a couple of thoughts here 
on some big games coming up this weekend. I gave you my pick for Georgia-Tennessee already. I like the dogs win this game 30-21. to That's obviously inside the point spread for that game. And as I've also cautioned you, while that's my hunch and my suspicion, the truth is the data doesn't actually back that up. You heard me say this yesterday. When you look at SEC games on the road for Georgia played November 1st or later, Georgia's actually 4-1 against the spread in its last five in those instances. And for all that's been made of Tennessee's playing at home and it's kneeling loud and it's electric and the Vols are tough there. When it comes to being an underdog at home, Tennessee hasn't exactly stood up in that spot very much. They're 1-6 straight up in seven tries as a home underdog under Josh Heupel. Uh, obviously, the one win is the one we all remember against Alabama. But a couple of those straight-up losses, you go back to 2021, narrow point spread against Pitt. Tennessee lost the game. Narrow point spread against Ole Miss. Tennessee lost the game. They also embarrassed themselves with the mustard bottles and everything else. But what obscures the, the nasty behavior after the game obscures the fact that was a winnable home game for Tennessee. Vols couldn't do it. They have not been as good against the spread at home as you might think in a situation like they're going to be facing on Saturday. Of course, anything can change. Trends don't necessarily guarantee anything. But my hunch, this game could be a little bit closer. The recent point spread trend data doesn't necessarily suggest that's the case. Nonetheless, uh, I do like Georgia 30-21 in the game. How about Florida going to Missouri on Saturday? This is another one of these examples of perhaps the underlying data here kind of bumping up against the, I think, the anticipation and what people sort of assume is true. You know, a lot has been made of Florida's struggles on the road. Billy Napier had the weird comment prior to the South Carolina game, a game that Florida won, by the way, about the Gators trying to get more sleep on the road as a way of uh, of ensuring victory. Pretty soon, Napier may have all the time to sleep that he wants. But for now, uh, when you look at Florida on the road for all of the perception that they've been terrible there, the truth is under Billy Napier, they're actually 3-3 three and three against the spread in six SEC road games, 2-4 and four straight up in that instance. Uh, and when you see Missouri in this spot on Saturday as 11.5-point home favorite, now ranked number nine by the College Football Playoff Top 25 here this week, but when giving this many points at home in the instances which Missouri has, they haven't exactly fared very well. Just 2-8 and eight against the spread in its last 10 home games when favored by 10 or more points. That's the scenario for Missouri on Saturday. But nonetheless, I do actually like Missouri here in this spot minus the 11.5. And the thing I'm going to kind of hang my hat on this game is, do you remember a year ago? Week before Florida State, Florida goes on the road, lost outright at Vanderbilt. In other words, in a season in which all you've got left is your in-state rivalry, perhaps you start thinking about your in-state rivalry game a little too soon, whether you can win the game or not. Uh, you know, Florida very, Florida players may very well feel like they don't have much of a shot here against a top 10 ranked team on the road. They may even be, from a mental standpoint, perhaps saving themselves a little bit for next Saturday. I would at least consider that as the uh, possibility here. Enough to take the flyer on Missouri minus the 11 and a half. That's a lot of points even for a top 10 team in this situation. But I believe that Missouri's probably the right side here in this spot. I'm also going to take the home team as well with South Carolina getting a point and a half from Kentucky and SEC play. Gamecocks have covered four of their last six games as a home dog. And Kentucky, conversely, is just one and four in its last five games against the spread versus SEC competition. I also think the vibes around Kentucky are pretty bad. The blowout to Alabama last week may be an example of that, further cementing that as an idea. And I think that this is sort of a sneaky good rivalry game. I don't believe that Shane Beamer likes the fact that Mark Stoops was kind of making fun of his sunglasses at SEC media days. Maybe Stoops doesn't like Beamer either. But the vibes around the South Carolina program, I believe, are better than they are around Kentucky. Don't forget, South Carolina made it look pretty easy last week against Vanderbilt, perhaps suggesting they are still kind of playing hard down the stretch there as well. Also, I'll give you one more thought here. We've talked over and over and over again about the fact we haven't had no chaos yet. No chaos. The uh, top eight teams have a combined two losses um, you know, uh, uh, so far this year. You've, you've just seen these uh, teams ranked near the top. They're just kind of rolling through. It's a possibility. We have four undefeated teams in the college football playoff. If things hold, that may be the way all this is going. Are we going to get some chaos at any point in time? Well, if we get chaos, I believe it's likely to happen this Saturday. I do like Washington State. Excuse me. I like Oregon State 
to beat Washington. Oregon State's actually a two-and-a-half-point favorite at home against the undefeated Huskies. Uh, Huskies cannot bump into that top four the last couple of weeks. They're stuck there at number five, at least for now. They may actually drop below that here this week because I have them losing on the road to Oregon State. As we told you yesterday, the Beavers have a chance to be the major spoilers here. With Washington this week, Civil War rivalry against Oregon next week, they could really kind of spice it up here. I don't think they beat Oregon next Saturday, but I do believe they beat Washington here this Saturday. Something to keep your eye on it will make that cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean now we have got a lot of golden shoes i want to give out for you here today so we're going to dive in here and get all of those for you here there as well also let me give a shout out to our friends at the uh, j stein law firm there too because obviously they're a big part of our game day coverage we're heading up to knoxville tomorrow i'll do the post game show from the field uh, when it's all said and done and we'll give out our player of the game tomorrow courtesy of the J. Stein Law Firm. But more important than that, they're also here for you in what could be a great time of need. You've been hurt or injured in an accident. Someone you love perhaps dealing with the same thing. The J. Stein Law Firm wants to serve you in that situation and help you get the compensation you think you deserve. No one's going to fight harder for you on that because the J. Stein Law Firm kind of has the sort of boutique-style service. You know, some of these really, really big personal injury companies, maybe to to them all you are is a manila folder. A file number, a name maybe, but certainly not a face to put with that name. That's not what you're going to get from the J. Stein Law Firm. You're going to get the kind of small firm attention that your case deserves. Uh, Josh Stein, of course, a, a two-time graduate of the University of Georgia. We call those double dogs. He's a UGA Law School graduate, and that means he loves serving dog fans what might be a tough time for you. So reach out and find him online. That's jsteinlawfirm.com. Stein is spelled S-T-E-I-N jsteinlawfirm.com i'll also remind you about some big things going on at cartersville here this weekend and in the next few days there as well the gun show of the south november 18th and 19th is there in the uh, cartersville area also the brand new restaurant largo's opening downtown so if you don't want to cook for thanksgiving you want a great uh meal they're taking orders for family style thanksgiving meals there as well and it could be the best thanksgiving ever for you and your family if you're up there in that area just visit the website visit cartersvillega.org for more on that that's visit cartersvillega.org for more on that. Okay, we've got a lot of golden shoes today. So before we play the song, let me go ahead and kind of shout out some of these here. A lot of folks getting ready for the game on Saturday and the Tennessee Vols, including our buddy Mad Dog, who we'll hear from a couple of times here. Uh, says Tennessee's denied yet another trip to the SEC championship game. And then you kind of make fun of the fact that uh, Josh Heupel looks a little bit like the character from King of the Hill, Bobby Hill. And you see, uh, is that Hank Hill? Is that the dad's name? Is it Hank Hill saying, damn it, Bobby, we're not going to make it to Atlanta again this year. No, for Tennessee, that is not the case. Mike the Mad Dog, very funny as always. We'll give you a golden shoe for that. Also, Head Drip Headlines brings this in here. Question, why do hunters always wear Vols orange when they're seeking a trophy buck? The answer, because the deer are distracted by the pity they feel when they see that color. Very, very funny from Head Trip Headlines there on that, and perhaps very true there as well. Our next golden shoe, going the way of our buddy Ryan Walker, who shares this funny meme that says, Mama said we can't watch Tennessee win a national championship because we don't have a VCR. Ryan saying about that, well, I'm glad I'm old enough to have owned a VCR, but definitely it's the truth that you got to have a VHS tape to see what the Tennessee Vols did way back in 1998. Very, very funny stuff, Ryan Walker. Great golden shoe coming your way. How about our next golden shoe here? Speaking of Mad Dog uh, and the uh, flip from Nasir Johnson this week from Florida to Georgia, Mad Dog saying Kirby is stealing Napier's lunch money again and again. Hashtag Gator Hater. Hashtag Go Dogs. And there you see it. A little bit of bullying from Kirby Smart at the hands of Billy Napier, who thus far is not really doing any better. And then his counterpart, Dan Mullen, did worse on the field, maybe a little bit better in recruiting, but that's perhaps only true for as long as Kirby Smart allows for it to be funny stuff from Mad Dog again. How about another golden shoe here? James Kotz writes in on this. He says, bring your hard hats, Dog Nation. We're about to enter hostile territory. And he gives you the hashtag uh, go dogs and of course shouts out to me at dog nation daily and what you see on the screen if you're watching video that's not just any mustard bottle of course they were famous for throwing those in the old miss game in 2021 that is a vols branded mustard bottle which is very funny from james and obviously a throwback to a pretty embarrassing day for tennessee of which they have many good stuff from james there on that how about our next golden shoe once again ryan walker to be heard from saying no explanation needed three peat on deck and you see the scene from uh, forrest gump 
with the truck uh, driven by Kirby Smart chasing down Nick Saban, who's running for his life. Uh, the tag saying, our time is now. And, boy, we hope that's true once again coming up in December. Good stuff from Ryan Walker on that. Another golden shoe going out to our buddy Bubba. You know, last week we were lucky enough to have the – college football playoff national championship courtesy of dr pepper in our studio what a thrill that was and of course with the pga tour event taking place down in st simon's here this weekend bubba letting us know that the college ball playoff trophy is also there in st simon's there as well he gives you the hashtag go for three and 23 great picture for him there at sea island with that what a fun thing that is to experience glad bubba's having a good time he also sent another picture to me that i don't have to show of you he got a chance to actually kiss the trophy which last week they told me not to touch it so bubba apparently is living a better life than i am because i was told uh, i could have all the dr pepper i wanted but just don't touch the gold part of the trophy so uh, there you go there on that but really good stuff from bubba on that and our last golden shoe here and boy this is a good one we've had some amazing like artist renderings of our of our dog nation invasion this coming from uh is it myth of jour is that how you say that uh coach chad sent this to me but a uh, myth on twitter says ain't nothing finer in the land than a drunk obnoxious georgia fan dog nation invasion beat tennessee there you see it right there uh the hairy dog looking fella in the front that could be me tomorrow whole bunch of georgia fans with flags flying we're going up there to celebrate what's already been a great season and getting ourselves another big win against these vols boy that's what dog nation invasion will look like that is great stuff from coach chad who shares that for me myth of is it sure is that xur is that how you say that either way really really incredible artist rendering we've seen some great stuff like that here this week you love to see that so as we say goodbye to you once again big thanks to rs andrews our friends at kroger the dog cave for making dog nation invasion of the tennessee river possible also a sincere thanks to all of you there too because this is the stuff that makes my job so much fun i mean listen i'd love to sit here and do the show no matter what but i've always wanted dog nation to be more than just that you know more than just a website more than just a show I want us to be out and about in the community, and so many of you have allowed me to feel a part of the community of Georgia fans in a way that's so much deeper than it would ever be if I wasn't able to do this. So for those of you who are going to be there with us tomorrow, thank you so much. And for those of you who will be with us for our SEC championship tailgate in a couple of weeks, thank you so much for that. You really have made the experience of these last few years as much fun as it ever be, and hopefully we're able to provide some fun for you there too. Tomorrow, we hope, another big win for these Georgia Bulldogs cleaning up on a perfect season of the sec boy wouldn't that be fun lousy stinking gators they are of course a part of those defeats and a part of that long georgia winning streak there as well it has been a long time since they've beaten georgia how about 1105 days since the lousy stinking gators have beaten uga and they're still losing and recruiting there as well that is a beautiful thing to think about and we'll make that our gator hater updater and see all of you back here monday for dog nation daily presented by kroger we'll talk to you then everybody